1: Good afternoon and the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. I am Josiah and welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace and forgiveness. This week we're going to talk about the Bible and you probably think, well, don't you always talk about the Bible? Well, uh, we refer to the Bible, we use the Bible as a basis for um, discussion, but this time we're actually going to talk about the Bible, because somebody at the editors at GQ Magazine came up with a list of 21 books they thought, it's not really worth your time reading. Number 12 on that list is, guess what, the Bible. (laughs) Unbelievably, they said, the Bible is not worth reading. OK, so that's what we're going to uh, discuss. We're going to talk a little bit about um, why is the the Bible valid? You know, how did it come about? You know, what's this work about? We're going to talk about those people who believe in the Bible and we're going to talk about those people who don't believe in it. And, you know, what should you do? You know, should you come to the defense of the Bible or should you just leave it alone? You know, so those are the things we're going to discuss. And today joining us, we have in the virtual living room, our brother Kazakia.
0: Hey, shalom to everybody. Shalom to my brothers. Accompanying me on the panel, giving all praises to the Heavenly Father and His Son, Christ, for another day, and an opportunity to uh, speak and edify course of the scriptures. And uh, it's my sincere hope that what comes out today definitely is edifying to our listeners.
1: And we also have here in the virtual
0: living room our brother Kabar. Yes, Shalom, Most High Christ bless you, brothers on the panel, blessings and grace to all of our listeners, and we hope pray that uh, as we go through the scriptures, that we ourselves and the listeners be edified in the spirit of Christ. Shalom to all. Hello to all. All
1: right. Well, welcome, brothers. And um, this is a uh, when I saw the. Article and the article that I saw was not the GQ magazine article. I saw something in USA Today. It's an article written by Matthew Dibble, uh, published April 23rd this year. And <clears throat> excuse me, online they do have a clip of um, excerpt from that GQ article. I'm going to play that clip now just to give our audience uh, some background of where
0: we're at. DQ Magazine placed the Bible of 21 books you don't have to read. Writer Jesse Ball said the Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but I've actually never read it, calling it repetitive, self-contradictory, and ill-intentioned at times. Instead of reading the Bible, Ball recommends reading The Notebook by Agoda Kristoff. Also on the list were a number of classics like The Catcher in the Rye, The Lord of the Rings, and Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. However, USA Today reports the Bible being on the list sparked up controversy among Christians. Fox News Religion contributed reader Father Jonathan Morris told Fox & Friends GQ's decision was foolish, noting the amount of people who have read the Bible. In the last 50 years, 3.9 billion people have read this book. 3.9 billion Bibles have been published. Evangelist Franklin Graham posted to Facebook calling the Bible sharper than a double-edged sword. Okay,
1: brothers, I know you just like me. You have spent some time. Significant amount of your time Reading the Bible, studying the Bible Applying it to your life and so forth So I want to ask you How do you feel being told That you wasted your time (laughs) Kabar
0: How do you feel about that Well I mean Initially uh, Hearing Hearing something like that You know Seeing something like that written Honestly I'm not surprised Um, is just a shame and really it's an indication of um, how lost not only that individual is as far as the editors of GQ, GQ magazine that came up with this article those individuals but also the world as a whole you know the scriptures talk about that gross darkness that we're in so we're in that time period and it everything that is going on only confirms mm-hmm. what was written thousands of years ago. So you can't tell a person that what you're reading is a waste of time and a lie when the very thing that they're doing was written that they would do 2,000 years ago. How do you disprove something thats that you're actually proving by your actions, your words, and your deeds? So that, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, the strangeness that's going on. So for me, it's, it's absolute confirmation that I have not wasted my time and that actually it, doing other things that weren't mm-hmm. as necessary than studying was actually the waste. Reading GQ magazine rather than <laughs> studying my Bible would have actually been the waste of time. So that's my, <laughs> that's my take.
1: And, and, and Kazaki, same question for you. You know, how do you feel being told that you're you're studying at the Bible through all these many years that it's a waste of time?
0: Well, you know, everybody is uh, entitled to their opinion. And so, of course, you know, I'm also entitled to mine. Uh, Being told that I've wasted some, I don't know, I would say 20 years or close to it reading the Bible studying the Bible, trying to uh, pattern my life according to its teachings, I have to say, and usually I keep my answers dignified and uh, appropriate, but the person who made the statement that, you know, it's was a waste of time and so forth and so on, that person is out of his freaking mind or her freaking mind. It doesn't matter. Because when you look at the scriptures, these, this is just a short list This is just a short list of things that you can find in the scriptures when you read the scriptures, even on a carnal, passer by time type thing, and even at your leisure. These are some of the things that you'll find in the scriptures history, action, intrigue, deception, betrayal, love, romance, tragedy, trail, laws and instructions, exhortation, edification, comfort. Prophecy and scandal. You know? So, Mm -hmm. you find all of that and then some in one book. So, for that person that says that you're wasting your time, that they're wasting your time reading the Bible, or they're wasting, well, the Bible, or reading the Bible is a waste of time, excuse me, I beg to differ. And now that's me being polite.
1: (laughs) Okay so i'm going to actually go in uh this is the gq magazine article uh which was and this article was written by the editors of gq on april 19th 2018 and it's got and the title is 21 books you don't have to read okay so just just make sure we are specific about what it is the gq had to say And I don't want this to be a program about bashing GQ, okay? But uh, I, I, I I would really like to see it to be a program about edifying people, about what the Bible is. Because some, you know, obviously, GQ, this is what they feel. This is what they see. This is what they perceive, okay? Maybe it's malicious. It don't have to be malicious. Because in the absence of maliciousness, you can still be wrong. Okay, so it don't have to be malicious for them to have read, uh, written this. Um, just, be, just sheer ignorance. But they, the title is 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. All right, so number 12 is the one that touches on the Bible. And it's got a lot of different books in here. The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway is one of them. Um, the Catcher in the Rye is another. Lonesome Dove is another. In fact, Lonesome Dove was number one on the list. Um, so you go down, you got, uh, the Lord of the Rings, not worth reading, Dracula not worth reading. Okay. So to kind of give you an idea of where they, where they are at that with this. So number 12, the Bible, it says the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all people who supposedly live by, by it, but who in actuality have not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill intention. If the thing you heard was good about the Bible was the nasty bits then I propose Agota go Christoph's The Notebook, a marvelous tale of two brothers who have to get along when things get rough. The subtlety and cruelty of this story is like that famous sword stroke from below the boat that plunged upward through the bowels, the lungs and the throat and into the brain of the roar. So now they um, made some remarks here. That I I would like, Kazakia, for you to um, um, talk a little bit about. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to give one part to you and then go to Kabar for another part. It says here um, that the Bible is repetitive. Have you found that the Bible is repetitive, Kazakia? Yes. The scriptures are repetitive. So they're they're true
0: about that. They're true about that way of being repetitive But not in a negative Okay, okay.
1: So explain what you mean well, now,
0: let's, 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 let's take a look at this thing um, When well, you read Second Timothy chapter 2 <clears throat> I apologize Second Timothy chapter 3 And it says All scripture Is given by inspiration of God And is profitable Keyword profitable Meaning it's for our benefit It's to our advantage Okay All scripture is given by Inspiration of God and is profitable For doctrine For reproof For correction For instruction In righteousness So those are the benefits That's the game of the scriptures Read them In the Old Testament Read them in the New Testament that's the that's the gain. That's the advantage that you get in the scriptures. You you receive correction. You receive the true doctrine. Okay, you don't you, you don't get true doctrine out of capturing the rye or the red bear or a red badge of courage or to kill a mockingbird. No, you get that strictly out of the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. For correction, excuse me, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, and, excuse me, truly furnished unto all good works. So that repentant, the repentant nature of the Bible, that's for our benefit. The repentant nature of the Bible is to reinforce what it is that we're supposed to be learning, studying, as well as applying in our lives about repentant nature of the scriptures, that's a benefit. That's a blessing for us. Okay. So that, wait a minute, if I'm, I'm missing something, I'm sure about something, I can go into the New, Old Testament or I can go to the New Testament. So it's going to basically tell you the same thing. And that central theme out of the Bible, either Testament, it doesn't matter, is repentance.
1: Okay. Now, um, I don't want to put your brothers on the spot about this. But um, when it comes to that repetitive nature, speaking about um, it, can you give an example uh, how that repetitive nature is actually helpful and not harmful? Because the way they are pointing it out, it's like it's a bad thing.
0: All right. <clears throat> now, this is the Book of Ezekiel, and I'm going straight to the point. Ezekiel. Chapter 18. All right. All right. I'm start at verse 30. I'm going to read from 30 all the way down to the end, which is just basically three verses. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that died, saith the Lord God. Therefore, excuse me, wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. And live ye, excuse me. So, in a nutshell, the Heavenly Father is telling us to repent. Turn ourselves from our wickedness. Now, when you read in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. It tells you basically the same thing. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at, Excuse me, is at hand. So you have in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, repentance. And even though mm-hmm. I read out of Matthew, Matthew was still considered part of the Old Testament because the New Testament actually started with the death of Christ. Nonetheless, when you read the words of Christ as well as into the New Testament, it is the same theme, which is repentance, which is casting away the wickedness and the evil of your actions and make a change. First and foremost, in your mind, by meditating and studying the words of the Lord and then putting those things into practice. So that right there is an example of the benefit of the repetitive nature in the Bible.
1: Okay. And Kabar, what about you? you have anything to say about this whole thing about the Bible being repetitive and, and, and putting that as one of the things that's bad about the
0: Bible? Yeah. Um. As far as as far as repetitive, uh, the thing you have to understand, as far as the scriptures are concerned, is it's not like the identical words are being used every time. What's repetitive is the theme? The theme in the Bible is repetitive because two two major themes in the Bible. One is the Bible. Is describing and edifying on Jesus Christ from Genesis and Revelation. So that's a theme throughout the entire Bible. And the second Do you think a lot of people out,
1: miss out on that theme?
0: Yes, a lot of people miss out on the theme because okay. remember, when you read the scriptures, the scriptures explain the scriptures, and that's what the good part about the repetitive part. As far as theme, mm-hmm. not words being repetitive, but theme being repetitive. Because the right Christ tells you and I believe it's Romans, that he comes in the volume of the book. Well, he says the same thing in Psalms. So when you link those two together, you realize, oh, it's talking about the same person. And that, that type of information is provided again and again from Genesis and Revelation so that you understand. And, of course, the, a carnal, the carnal person cannot receive these things because they are spiritually understood. And if God prayer venture opens a person's mind to understand that, then it will understand that the theme of the Bible, first and foremost, is Jesus Christ in Genesis to Revelation, because you read in in Corinthians that Christ was actually the cloud guiding our people when they came out of Egypt, okay, and going through uh, the the, uh, the forty years in the wilderness. You don't now if you don't understand that when you're reading out of Exodus, but by the time you get to Corinthians. It's made plain what the cloud actually was. So yes, the theme comes up again and again and again. That's the repetitive nature. The other major repetitive aspect of the Bible is the theme of repentance. That comes up over and over and over. It doesn't use the same word, but it describes what it is, how it's done, and the benefits of doing it, mm-hmm. and the and the detriment if you don't do it. That's described again and again from Genesis to Revelation. So the thing is, the, 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 why that's a positive is because it allows you to understand the subjects from many different angles and perspectives so that you get a full picture. So, yes, in, um, among the text of man, you will find repetitiveness to be both mundane and boring and useless, but in the realm of God and the scriptures and his words, it is a, a high benefit for us because it describes us two main things in the Bible and allows us to get a better understanding. The repetitiveness is not, for, for God's sake, the repetitiveness, repetitiveness in, the, in the scriptures as far as repetitive themes is for man's sake for him to understand.
1: And, and, and you know, right. um, I,
0: want to, um, I, I want to add on that just please. right quick. When you quoted the scripture, that was Psalms 3 and 7. I come in the volume of the book. And then you can read about it again in Hebrews uh, chapter ten and verse seven. I come in the volume of the book, referring refer to Jesus Christ. So that's that's that quite quite in line with the question that you posed, brother.
1: And see, that's 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 a very good point that about that theme, because uh, what I possibly a lot of people don't realize is that the Bible is a collection of various books and and, uh, and, uh, literature written by different people at different times. And oftentimes they're referring to the same thing. For example, uh, Kings and Chronicles We're referring to the same time period, but this is two different pieces of literature referring to events that occurred at the exact exact same time. So you could possibly say, well, you only need one of those. All right. But they don't both say the exact same thing in every single instance. Now in some instances, yes, the same way as the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, so they have some commonalities, but they also have some stark differences that bring about a bit more clarity. So I think that may be something something that people are maybe missing out on when they uh talk about the Bible being repetitive. So let's let's go on to the other thing they accuse the Bible of, and that's being self contradictory. And this is the biggie that years and years ago when I first probably as a teenager Started understanding something in the Bible Reading it and I started to hear People discrediting the Bible and one of the Things they said is the Bible is filled with Contradictions now Kabar have you found that to be true Because you've been reading The Bible ever since you were a child So have you found it to be true that the Bible Is filled with contradictions
0: Absolutely not And uh yeah I mean I, I have been um, raised on, on it, you know, since since the womb. You know, I've, I've always, because of the way I grew up, you know, always kept the Sabbath day, always acknowledged the Passover and our high holy days, and all of it. I, the part that I didn't right. understand was the part about Christ. And through the grace of God, I was able to understand that um, later on in my life. But the thing is, As far as the contradictions and when you this is what I always say about that. There are no contradictions in the Bible, only a lack of understanding. Hmm. Once you (laughs) there aren't. There are no contradictions.
1: It is just people's level of understanding contradiction.
0: Yes, it will yes. It will appear to like like you have in the Bible. Give you an example. You have, it seems like in, Re- in, in in Romans, Paul is saying we don't got to keep the law, and then later on uh, in Hebrews or Corinthians or another parts it's saying we have to keep the law. So what is it, What's going on? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why the reason why people think there's a contradiction there is because they do not understand the difference between justification and sanctification. They don't understand that. Once mm-hmm. you understand what justification is in the scriptures, then you'll understand what Paul is talking about, and the contradiction completely goes away. Justification is dealing with us; are in the initial stage, repenting to the heavenly Father, and because we 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 can't mention it, there's no good works for us to even mention, No law we can keep; nothing that will will reestablish us and right standing with the Most High. Only the sacrifice of Jesus of Jesus Christ can do that. That's why the law is of no effect. After we repent, you move it to sanctification, which is going on to perfection. That's when the law becomes of effect because it gives us the guidelines of what we're supposed to keep. That's why Christ said, if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. So mm-hmm. if Paul, is, Paul is not saying anything different from Christ. They're not contradicting each other. Paul is not saying you don't got to keep the commandments. If Christ is saying you do have to keep the commandments, that's not what's happening when you understand what justification is, what sanctification is, you understand where the law has its place and where how it is applied under Christ.
1: Okay. Kazaki, anything that yeah, you'd like to right. say on this whole thing about uh the Bible being self contradictory?
0: Right, because uh, Brother Kabal he really he really established a point where he said uh lack of understanding. So you know, for, for, for persons who are of the opinion that the Bible is self-contradictory, uh, contradicting, excuse me, uh, the question for those persons is, have you actually tried to apply the teachings of the Bible? If you have not, then yes, to the carnal person, to the carnal eye, it would appear as if the scriptures of the Bible are self-contradicting. However, when we read in Psalms 111 and verse 10, Excuse me, it states, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, when we start to follow the Heavenly Father's instructions, that is the beginning or the foundation of our true wisdom. I'm not talking about earthly wisdom. I'm talking about the wisdom that comes from the Heavenly Father. Now, the next part says this a good understanding, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endure forever. So, the next part goes into what Kabbalah was talking about that understanding. How can you sit there and just point your finger at a book, the Bible specifically, and just say this arbitrarily? Oh, the Bible is full of contradictions. contradictions. It's self-contradicting where you haven't been proactive enough to apply what it is, the central thing of repentance and following Christ and keeping the commandments that the Bible is talking about. Okay, Mm so that's kind of hypocritical. Nonetheless, the understanding comes from repentance and following the scriptures and through time... Through study, through prayer, you will begin to get that understanding in which you will read the Bible and you say, oh, no, that's not, that's not contradicting that none at all. This refers to such and such and so-and-so in these particular circumstances at that time, and this refers to such and such and so-and-so in, these, uh, in this set of circumstances at this particular time, but the Lord Jesus Christ has the preeminence of all when he tells us that we are still not only to teach the commandments, but we're also supposed to continue to do those commandments. Now applying these things, keyword application through him, meaning through Christ, his teaching and his example.
1: Okay. All right. Well, thank you, bro. Kabar, the next disparaging word that was used in this article concerning the Bible was sententious. Now, I didn't know what sententious meant when I read this, so I had to look it up. And there's a definition here that says, given to excessive moralizing, self-righteous. So, do you you look at the Bible as uh, excessively moralizing or self-righteous? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, and, and these, these are the words of the editors in the GQ magazine. Um, in USA Today, in that article, uh, which was posted on April 23rd, 2018, 9 a.m., one of the quotes says that uh, GQ magazine, a Bible of grooming tips, gadgets, suggestions, and style advice has sparked a social media and by calling the Christian Holy Bible, foolish, repetitive, and contradictory, right? Mm -hmm. Were you going to get to that point later, or that was part of this point
1: here? No, you're fine. You go ahead. I I was going to, I may have gotten to that,
0: but you're you're good. Okay. Um, And it goes on to say, and placing it on the list of 21 books you don't have to read. So part of that definition of sentitious is judgmental. So this is, Actually, this is the thing we're doing. We're dealing with man's interpretation of what the Bible is actually saying. Mm Carnal man's interpretation of what the Bible is actually saying is, well, you can't judge me or that judgmental. And once again, not understanding what's written in the scripture. But the Bible says, and and, and this is why this is a dangerous thing for both men to speak like this and for hearers to accept this type of thing and take it on. Matthew 12, 12, 36 says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. That idle word is talking about is those evil things you speak about the Bible, against the Bible, so on and so forth. Now, let me give you the, let's go back to that point about repetitiveness in the Bible. Okay? I read Matthew's 1236 says, give you your understanding about speaking those idle words because these are the, the words that's hurled at the Bible judgmental, sententious, foolish, so on and so forth. Matthew 23 said, those idle words you're going to have to give account for. Now let's look in Jude chapter 1, verse 15 and look at uh, to fill in the picture of what that judgment is dealing with. Jude 1 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousandth of his saints talking about the return of Christ. Now remember, this is Enoch when you go back into the book of Genesis, okay, this seven mm-hmm. from Adam. This is where he prophesied even back then of dealing with Christ. Remember we talked mm-hmm. about that theme throughout the Bible, talking about Christ from beginning to end. So here it is. Jude one fifteen is now explaining that. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these things, saying, Behold the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Dealing with the return of Christ, the Second Coming, verse 13, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, going into the breaking of God's commandments and they're, and the turning away from Christ. It says, which they have ungodly committed, and look at the other thing it says, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. See, those, those are those idle words that we're talking about again. So that's why the scriptures, Christ is able to tell you, you're going to have to give an account because he's, he's telling you the same thing because it was the same spirit when Enoch prophesied and said that, every, that these ungodly people are going to be just for these ungodly and harsh speeches against the Lord. So you see how you have it in Genesis, and then, and then three 4,000 years later, Christ saying the same exact thing. You see how the theme remains the same. Different words, repetitive things. But it's showing mm-hmm. how the judgment for this, with the, the things that they're saying is what the Bible calls blasphemy, speaking against the Bible, putting the Bible down, um, 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 integrating the words of God, twisting the words of God, saying it's judgmental and sententious. It's not. The scriptures give the delineation or the understanding between what is right and what's wrong, what is good and what's evil. But what man wants to say is, What God calls evil, we want to say is good, and what God calls good, we want to say is evil. (laughs) And so that's why it's judgmental, because man is positioning himself opposite to God, and that's where the conflict comes in But, like the Scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar, and therefore the judgment will come if we don't repent.
1: Okay, so now, Kazaki, uh, I don't know if I'm going to even ask you to, to expound on this last thing. I'm just going to mention that it says, the last thing, because it goes so, to the, the foolish, and Kabar just pretty much covered that. It talks to, said the Bible was mm-hmm. foolish, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says that, and even at times, ill intention. you know, I'm sorry, but I'm just not understanding where they're coming from. you have any understanding what they're talking about when it says that it's ill intention?
0: <laughs> no, I do not. But I do have some scriptures That I would like to offer as to maybe to understand, you know, where the offer was coming from with that particular comment. So it's ill intentioned. <clears throat> I can help you with that if you want. I mean, like, exactly. Me, go, yeah, um, absolutely,
1: absolutely. I, 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 you know, I, I'm not even supposed, to, even trying to understand or, or uh, to say that I know where they're coming from by saying it's ill intentioned so, have you heard of something like that before, Kabar? Uh, yeah. No.
0: Oh. Well, sorry. Y- yeah, just just real quick, because you got to understand, it's coming from a carnal perspective. You know, these are the editors of GQ. These are carnal men who are not, who do not understand the Bible. So, when when you're talking about ill intention, their perspective is, well, listen, if if you want to lead men in the right direction, or If you want to help people live a better life in their view, it would be better to go about it like this rather than like that. Mm -hmm. So in their view, the way the Bible is with the Bible, the direction the Bible is trying to tell people to go in, in their mind, they feel there's a better way to do it. And that's why they call the Bible's way healing. intention. right. Okay. So, okay.
1: so, 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 something like Christ's crucifixion could have been like one of those ill-intentioned things, you know, that that was it. It happened. They really did shouldn't have done that. It was ill-intentioned.
0: Yeah. Well, why? Why did a person? Why did a human being have to die for that? See, the carnal mind mm-hmm. doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Why? Why does an animal have to be sacrificed for the for the sins of a man? Or, mm-hmm. or any number of things that they could say. Well. It could have been done a different way or a better way, and so what the Bible is trying to accomplish, um, according to their views, there is either a different or a better way to do it. Even the, 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 implicitly, they're saying, "Well, it might be good some of the things that they're trying to accomplish, or some of the things they want man to to grow, for the development of man to happen. That's a good a good thing, but the ill intention part comes in the method." So that's where that's where that perspective is. Okay. All right. Okay. Appreciate that, brother. So now let's look at really let's look at I'm, a, I'm read, would like to read three scriptures and just to see whether this book is truly ill intentioned or not. So first and foremost, I'm gonna read Romans chapter fifteen <clears throat> and verse four. Where it says for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like minded one to another one to one another, according to Jesus Christ, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The main part that I really wanted was in verse 4. For whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning. So this book, the Bible, and everything, all the scriptures that were written at the time were written serve as a foundation or a fountain for our learning today. That we, who patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So through patience, which is something positive, something beneficial, an attribute or characteristic that's beneficial for us to have, and through comfort. This book, believe it or not, is comforting. We get the comfort knowing that even though things, bad things happen, We learn from these things that do happen so that we become better men, better women, better fathers, better mothers. We look at the history in the scriptures, and we see this is where this person made the mistake. This is where our people went off at. This was done in bad judgment, and look at the consequences of that mistake. I'm not going to go back and make that mistake. So those, those types of things, those types of small things are in the scriptures to serve as learning tools, to serve as reminders to us, this is where the mistakes were made in the past, and I don't want to make that same mistake. I'm gonna, I don't want to go down that same route, so I'm going to go the path of Christ. And the last part, it says that we, through patience, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That comfort is knowing that the world as it is will not always be as it is. There is a better day coming. There is a day Mm -hmm. coming when there will be no more pain, no more tears. You won't have to worry about some man eyeballing your wife. You won't have to worry about somebody trying to scheme and kidnap your children. All that that we're currently Seeing and witnessing right now Believe it or not It's temporary But when we look at the Lord's prayer In Matthew chapter 6 and 9 Our Father which art in heaven Hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth As it is in heaven So we're praying for the righteousness And the perfection that the Heavenly Father Has in heaven To come on earth And that day will come Will we see it within our own natural life experience? The Heavenly Father only knows. But if the Lord said it, it's only a question of when will it happen. That's the comfort, knowing that one day there will be no more sickness. There will be no more debilitating disease. There will be no more Alzheimer's. There will be no more AIDS. There will be no more syphilis. There won't be concepts like ADHD. All that will be of the past. All we have to do is cling unto Christ, follow his teachings, follow his example, and, of course, endure unto the end, and we will be guaranteed to see it when all, that, when all that comes to fruition with the return of Christ. Now, if that's not comforting, then somebody please explain to me what it is.
1: <laughs> you got a good point there, bro. So, um, you know, when you start talking about the Bible and the validity and all that stuff, you know, um, people will quickly point to the fact that, uh, well, God didn't actually write the Bible. I mean, physically, literally sit down somewhere and write out every single word in the Bible. But it was written by people that were divinely inspired by God. Okay. So. My question for both you brothers is, since you weren't there, you know, the the, the writings in the Bible are centuries old. Since you weren't there, how do you actually know that those words were actually divinely inspired by God Almighty? How can you say that?
0: I mean, one second. I'm looking for the scripture right now. Believe it or not, I'll apologize. Yeah,
1: because you know, you you know, people. And and while while you're looking for the scripture, let me just go ahead and say, you know, how people uh, typically look at this. You know, And, and it's not all people because it's like in this article it says the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. So now here, someone is making a statement that the, the scriptures they had been inspired by uh men were divinely inspired by god almighty to write but they hadn't actually read it themselves and they're making these statements so you know so i guess that's one way one reason why some people call that into question but then it goes on to say those who have read it know they are some good part all right so i understand and you brothers understand it's not about good parts. The The entire Bible, cover to cover, is good, all in all. Every bit of it is good. And if you think there's a part of it that's not good, it's because there's something that you hadn't applied to your life at this point, some shred of uh, understanding that you haven't been blessed with at this point. So mm-hmm. my question, though, is for you brothers to bring out how it is that mm-hmm. uh, you know that those things that are written in the Bible Are divinely inspired by God That God inspired A man or these men To write the things that are contained In the Bible In those writings
0: Okay um, I read the scripture at the onset of the show But uh, it, it serves To answer the question uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Verse 16 <clears throat> All scripture is given By Inspiration of God. So all the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, Proverbs, the Psalms, the Psalms of Solomon, uh, the Lamentations of Jeremiah, Kings. All the scriptures, like like it says here in Second Timothy three and sixteen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So therein, right there, in that one singular statement, is the proof. Is the answer that you were looking for to prove that the scriptures, the book, the Bible itself, has been divinely inspired by the Word of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And this book is the absolute perfect teaching tool. Now, for further uh. Uh, investigation into that. Allow me to read, please, Revelation chapter nineteen and verse ten. I'll start at verse nine. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, that Lamb being Christ. And those that are called are those that are being called to repent and follow the example and teachings of Christ. And he said unto me. These are the true sayings of God. Verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when Moses was writing Divinely inspired by God was writing the books of the, the first five books of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That was uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, excuse me. Yes, that was divinely inspired by God. But also Moses was prophesying, and the spirit that was on Moses when he was prophesying was the spirit of our Lord Savior and King Jesus Christ. So here again. You got Jesus Christ all throughout the Bible, each and every book of the Bible. And you can you can say and make the statement, or I can say and make the statement without any doubt or hesitation or reservation, that Christ wrote this book. He just used men to put it on paper. But uh-huh. the words and the spirit in the words, which is supposed to cause us to repent comes from our lord jesus christ by authority of the lord god almighty himself so between these two scriptures that should answer your question as to whether this book the bible and the words in it have been divinely inspired or not i'll Uh, answer that
1: okay go ahead kabar
0: Oh, did you, so, want to ask what, something
1: you go ahead and say that. But what I'm what I'm going to ask for is like one or two examples of how that looks in the Bible, where someone is oh, actually I, divinely inspired. That's how I'm going
0: to.
1: That's how I'm going okay. to okay. answer it. Okay. So,
0: let me let me ask you ask you as a host, as a matter of historical fact, let me ask you something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Name to me a nation or nation that is. That fits this description. What nation was or group of people were put on cargo-shaped slave ships and shipped around the world and put in slavery uh, uh, throughout the continents of Africa, Europe, North America, and South America?
1: Oh, that's 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 pretty that's pretty easy that's a, that's a, you're talking about the transatlantic slave trade you're talking about uh basically uh the black africans
0: now are you sure isn't it Could that description describe chinese people european people uh uh indigenous African people't well, that describe them also
1: you know I'm not a historian, but I did study history in high school college elementary school, whatever, and at no point do I recall any point in history where there was a mass number of people that was shipped around the world to be slaves other than the people in the translated slave trade starting in
0: the 1600s, I think it was. Yep. Okay. All right, so you know that as a historical fact that actually happened in history. Right? Yeah, best best I know.
1: You know, I mean, maybe there's some Obscure history, someplace of something like that taking place long before that, or or at the same time. Maybe there were some Chinese that was being shipped in mass. Now, you know, of course, there have been like uh, you heard of Shanghai, you know, where they would take people um, and and they would shanghai them and sell them in, into uh, slavery, you know. But this this is you know a few people here, a few people there. It was not by the hundreds, thousands, and millions. And which is what okay. the translated slave trade. This, these are millions of people all within a condensed period of time that were moved out of Africa into other parts of the world.
0: Okay. And how were they transported?
1: They were transported by ships.
0: Ships. Okay. What kind of ships? You mean like large, large ships, container ships, cargo ships?
1: Uh, I, you know, from the things that I've seen, I was supposed to be like cargo ships. Um, and they basically packed people in those ships, like sardines from the illustrations I've seen. Now, of course I wasn't there, but and I'm dependent on history, but that's, that's what happened. They, they packed, uh, black folks from Africa in those ships, like sardines, sometimes on two, three, four different levels, laying prostrate the whole journey from Africa to the Americas. Or to Europe But usually to the Americas North or South America
0: Okay, okay, fine So when you look at the book of Deuteronomy Now this is, we're talking about something written Thousands of years ago Right, the book of Deuteronomy Right, I In think
1: that Moses book, is, Moses given the credit for writing Deuteronomy So this is the Exodus This is right out of Egypt So that's a long, long, long time book. ago
0: Yes, very long time ago We know these places existed we know this history happened, okay. And also, when you read reading those books, it's the, the, that's regarding the Israelites, right? When you're reading those books,
1: right?
0: Okay. So, when you go into Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight and sixty, because Deuteronomy twenty-eight is describing the blessings if the nation of Israel kept God's commandments, and the curses if they broke God's commandments. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 68, it's describing one of the curses, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we know the, the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt, and when you look in the book of Exodus, right? Okay, right. so Egypt represented bondage to the nation of Israel. So when you go into the book of Deuteronomy 28 and 68, it says, and the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again. Now, this was what God is saying through Moses to the nation of Israel, talking about they're going to go into Egypt again, which means they're going to go into bondage again, right? Mm-hmm. It says, and the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships. Now, we know in the original Exodus, how did the Israelites get into Egypt? Did they go by
1: ships? No, they they walked in or they rode camels or something. <laughs> you know, they,
0: exactly. So they, we know yeah. we know this is not talking about that time. Okay. So it says, and the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt, meaning bondage, again with ships. It says, by the way whereof I speak unto thee, thou shalt be no more, thou shalt see it no more again. And there, ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen. And no man shall buy you. That were bond means redeem. Okay, so what does bondmen and bondwomen mean? That's an old, old English word for what? Slave. Slave. So this group of people. Is going to go into Egypt for bondage by shirts and they're going to be sold as slaves, and no one is going to get them out of it. Okay, so, wow, that's amazing. So you go to that same verse in that same chapter, you go up a few verses. It's a verse 46, where God is telling us about these, about these curses that he's going to put on us. In Deuteronomy 28 and 46, about these curses, God said, and they shall be upon thee for a sign. And for a wonder, and upon thy seed forever. So when you say "Mm, today, I who were the people that actually went into the transatlantic slave ships, the only group of people or nation that that ever happened to was what God prophesied thousands of years ago in Deuteronomy 28, were the Israelites. Now you, it's unmistakable because no other nation ever went into slavery. By conquering So how do you Discredit a book that tells you Thousands of years prior What happened <clears throat> In contemporary history that we all know
1: And, and you are just giving one
0: example That's just one example But right. if that example Is true Are the others going to be lying?
1: <laughs> yeah and, and I think somewhere in the, in the Bible it tells you that If someone comes along and they say something to you, and it's, and it's not true. Then that's a false prophet. You don't believe that man, you
0: know. Exactly. <laughs> so,
1: right. So it, it, I, I see I see your point, and you're saying that it, it actually proves itself.
0: Proves itself. Oh, over oh and over fact again. It's indisputable.
1: So we got we got a little more time left, and what I'd like for you brothers to touch on is, is something for those people who don't believe in the Bible. You know they they believe that after everything we covered here, somehow they believe that. It's, uh, yes, that's what you say. You still haven't proven your point. It's not true. What about those people? What would you say to those people right now if you could if you could sit down and have a conversation with them, not a debate argument, but a conversation with them, Kazakis? What would you say?
0: That's a good question. <clears throat> Uh, because the scriptures tell us and very very plainly. Now, if you just want to have a, uh, a conversation, okay, well, the first question I'm going to ask is, well, have you tried it? Have you taken the initiative to lay aside your preconceived notions and actually read and try to put into practice what the scriptures say? Now, Kabar, help me out Because there's a scripture in Romans That says Receive ye But not to doubtful disputation Help me out Well, there it is, I've already found it This is Romans uh, chapter 14 and verse 1 Him that is weak in the faith Receive ye But not to doubtful disputation So there's person. if there's a person Who is weak Receive that person Teach edify and defend, teach and edify, but not to doubtful disputations, which ultimately means when that person is trying to try to undercut and undermine everything that you're trying to teach and bring out of, descript, out of the scriptures for the edification, to for the glory of the Heavenly Father and for that particular person's edifications, that's not a whole lot, that's not a whole lot of things that we're going to be able to discuss quite Black. But mm-hmm. here again, The question remains, you have these preconceived notions about the scriptures. You have this already established mentality and attitude about a book, according to the carnal mind, seemingly as full of contradictions and ill intentions, as this particular article describes the Bible, but have you really taken the initiative? To lay aside all the doubt, lay aside all the preconceived notions, lay aside all the negative attitudes toward the scriptures, and actually read the scriptures, number one. Number two, put the scriptures into practice as far as the commandments and teachings of Christ is concerned. If you have not, then here again, there isn't a whole lot of conversation to be added at that particular point.
1: Okay, and and Kabar, same same question for you. Uh, if you were sitting down having a conversation with someone who uh, did not believe in the
0: Bible, what would you have to say to them? I would say no more than what uh, Paul spoke about the Bereans in Acts chapter seventeen, verse ten and eleven. It says, and and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogues of the Jews. And what did they say about them? Paul and Silas say they said these were were more noble. Than those in Thessalonica, And that they receive the word with all readiness of mind And search the scriptures daily Whether those things were so So I would tell an unbeliever If you honestly search the scriptures And try to disprove them for yourself There's many cases in which atheists mm-hmm. Went in to disprove the Bible And became believers because they couldn't So mm-hmm. I dare you Search them out for yourself
1: Can you truly believe in the Bible though If you're not applying the
0: principles In the Bible to your life well, no. to, to truly believe the Bible, you have to apply the principles. That's the only way belief is proof.
1: Okay. All right.
0: All right, brothers. Well, that's about all the
1: time we have for today. I really appreciate your input, and I pray that the Most High will bless uh, this program so that the listeners are edified. And uh, to next time, I'd like to uh, say thank you, but the most of all, thank you to the Most High in the name of Son, His Son, Christ. Uh, to next time, I say shalom. 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 Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com Or you can email us at bodyofchrist at ureach.com Or call us at 877-871-1712 Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ, bless you. Shalom.